Good afternoon, everyone. Let me just get my computer screen ready here. There we go. Welcome, and thank you for joining us again this afternoon. A warm welcome to each and every one of you. It's lovely to have you all on board again. I can see all the attendees climbing. We're standing on nearly 200. Um, thank you for joining us for our 13th webinar. It's been an absolutely amazing couple of weeks. I missed you all last week, um, but I'm very glad to be back. And I would just like to say a great big thank you to my close colleagues for, for stepping in and, and just covering for me. Thank you so much. Um, can you all believe that it's August already? My goodness. Um, and there's only 147 days left until the end of the year. Can you believe it, Arna? Um, and I know for, for a lot of people, I think 2020 has been a, a difficult year. It definitely had its ups, its, its downs, and we still need to see the, the year all the way through to the end. But um, I actually read a quote of Muhammad Ali just the other day, and it really resonated by me. It said, don't count the days, make the days count. And I think it's definitely something that we just need to try and hold on to until the end of the year. Um, so maybe while everyone is settling in, I can just share with you who is joining us today, as I normally do. We've got 732 people that registered for this afternoon's webinar. We've got 17 disciplines who's joining us today. And we can welcome this afternoon, we've got four medical doctors, we've got nine social workers and nine chiropractors. We've got 23 medical orthotists and prosthetists. There's 25 podiatrists. Um, there's 30 dietitians on the call. There's 37 registered counselors. There's 40 optometrists. Then we jump into the speech and audiologist. Um, there's 53 of you. We've got 67 bios. We've got 70 occupational therapists, 104 physios, and 242 psychologists. Welcome everyone. I hope you are settling in. I can still see the numbers climbing. Just a reminder, if you would like to pose some questions, please make use of either the chat or the Q&A functionality and we'll gladly try and answer all the questions as the webinar unfolds. Also, I would like to ask you if there are any topics you would like us to cover in any of the future webinars, please note that down for us as well. We do have visibility, obviously, of the Q&A and the chat functionality afterwards. So we will get your, your ideas there. We would really like to hear from the audience. Um, also, if you wish to watch any of our previous webinars, they are all available. Just navigate to easymed.solutions, our website. You can actually see that on the screen in front of you. And then go to the webinar tab. Everything is available there from the day that we started back in, in May, if I'm not mistaken. Um, there are also other platforms where you can listen and view the webinars. There's the podcast platform and we have got the YouTube channel. Um, I will try and copy and paste those details to you as, as soon as we start so that you can get that and you can just navigate to either listen to it when you've got a bit of time, whether you're driving in the car or whether you're sitting at home or whether you want to navigate to the YouTube channel and watch any of our previous webinars. Now, as usual, the webinar today is brought to you by the SpaceNet Global Group with the support of both EasyMed and Medici, and it has been accredited for one ethics CEU. You should get your CPD certificates in the email early next week, if I'm not mistaken, if you did log in with your own personal um, login details into today's webinar. Um, EasyMed, you know, is obviously a sophisticated practice management system. 
and telehealth is a secure uh, MediChairs is, is a secure telehealth platform, and we've integrated both these products. And we're very pleased to announce to you, we, we sort of reconsidered our position, and we realised that I think a lot of healthcare practitioners and their practices are still struggling, and the patients are struggling to get to their healthcare practitioners. So we're very happy to say that both these products are still for free until the end of August. So please do keep that in mind. If you think you can find it beneficial to use either a telehealth platform or the practice management system or the integration between both of those, it's for free. Please use it, look after your patients and trying to look after your practice as well. So today we are talking about ethical diagnostic coding or ICD-10 coding. And joining me here today are two of my very close colleagues and friends. First of all, we've got Adna van Rooyen. Adna has been in managed healthcare since 1998. Um, and she spent 14 years at the NetCare head office with the national responsibility of clinical coding. Now, Adna also did her CPC or her certified professional coder qualification through the USA. And for the last five years, we've been lucky enough to have Adna as part of the SpaceNet Global Group as a clinical coding expert. So, Adna, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate your time. Great also time. with us today is Yulandi Potgieter. Yulandi's also been with the SpaceNet Group for, for five years and she's had numerous roles. Yulandi is the absolute heart of the EasyMed training team and she has heaps of experience um, in the daily ins and outs and all the issues that a practice and a healthcare practitioner can experience in the different types of environments where they work. And why she's got all this experience is because she's actually been a practice manager herself in, in various disciplines. And I know Yulandi's got an, a fantastic relationship with, with all our clients. So Yulandi, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Lonnie. I just noticed it's like proper gold power here today. We don't have any of the boys with us. It's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> um, attendees, I'm sure you know me. My name is Lani Ace. I'm a, profnet, uh, a product manager with the SpaceNet Group, and I'll be your host again this afternoon. Now, before we kick off, just quickly, um, even though Arna and Yulandi are both absolute experts at, at, their, their, um, at what we're going to talk about this afternoon with regards to, to coding and diagnostic coding, just a quick list disclaimer that you need to know that we are providing you with our opinion and um, around ethical coding today, and that this webinar does not serve as a substitute for a consultation with a professional or a competent advisor. And should you at any stage do require more information around ethical coding or ICD-10 coding, we would still advise you to go and talk to a professional. So just again, it's our opinion and we're here to have a lovely conversation this afternoon. Okie doke, so I think we can kick off this. You're close to 500 people and they, there's still people streaming in. But Anna, I remember when I qualified way back in 1997, I needed to start coding the moment I started going into physio practice. And it was a minefield. It was a complete foreign concept to me and it was definitely not something that I learned or studied at university level. What made it worse is that they started throwing procedure coding into the mix as well. And I think that confused me even more. Maybe just to set the scene, can you quickly describe and explain to us what's the difference between ICD-10 or diagnostic coding and procedure coding? 
Well, only the, I think the reality is that ICD-10 um, and diseases, you know, the coding of diseases like uh, um, that is addressed in ICD-10 coding is exactly what it said. It is disease coding. Where your procedural coding, oh, there's a lot of variations of it. You've got your RPL coding, your CPT coding, or CCSA coding that is used in the South African hospitals. It's actually the same thing just a year, uh, a little bit a year behind the CPT. That is done for procedural coding. Um, and what I have found is that there's very often a patient that gets admitted and then information, or, or you see information and it's written as a diagnosis, but the, or the patient, it's supposed to be a diagnosis, but then it's written as, let's say, hysterectomy. Mm -hmm. And that's actually the procedure. It's not the diagnosis of the patient. So, um, you know, there's very often that what is it, what is it not? We just need to be very clear that ICD-10 is purely about the diagnosis of the patient. Okay. And procedure coding is what you did with the patient? Yes. yes. Okay. All right. Perfect. I think that summarizes it nicely. Thank you. Thanks for that. But am I correct that I'm saying that I think ICD-10 coding has come a very, very long way. And I know big organizations like the WHO are involved. There's some big countries involved now. But ICD-10 coding comes from way back when, back in the, if I may say, the 1800s, even, is, was it Florence Nightingale that requested some statistical data around the type of patients <laughs> that she saw? Yeah, absolutely. You know what the funny part is? Um, being a nurse myself, this is like, uh, you know, really funny for me to say that it was indeed uh, because of um, Flory's uh, enthusiasm, enthusiasm to care for her patients that she said that uh, we need statistical data. And then uh, there was a statistician with the name Job Patillion who got involved. There was quite a few doctors that got involved, Dr. Grant and the Norton and there's, there's a few others. And I've started doing coding on a very basic level and if you go to the the british the medical dictionaries about that coding it is absolutely amazing to see what they've actually been able to code you know there's stuff like asthma and pleurisy and um, tuberculosis and fever this was one thing that say um stone and i looked at it and i thought what is stone and then I, you know, I always make the joke, I said, it's either stone dead or stone drunk, but somebody was stoned. <laughs> so I can't really say what the coding, all of the coding meant at that stage, but you can draw a line between, uh, uh, you know, a lot of the, the, the diagnostic statements that they've actually made, they coded more for, more, uh, for mortality at that stage than for, um, uh, uh, morbidity but it is still actually valuable because when you look at it and you look at where we stand today the coding that we do yeah. we actually impact on our future we impact on the treatment of patients the epidemiology of patients the statistical data that we give through to ultimately to the who you know all of those things and we forget that every case that you code has a very small impact ultimately on the outcome of that data. But if you put thousands of people together and capture the data, it's got a big impact at the end of the day. Absolutely. You know, like the one example that I've always used, 
we, we deal with this thing like, you know, people don't want to go HIV. They don't want to, it's almost like, like I'm always getting this question, can I code? Absolutely, yes, you can. If, if you feel you should do it and if it's relevant, it should be done. Mm -hmm. The standards document for South Africa actually gives examples on how to code. It. But people don't do it. So if we say, let's say 26% of our country is HIV positive, are yeah. we correct? You know, so it's, it's just the stuff that come up. Recently, with the COVID, for example, I listened to the coding done by the um, in the UK to a, a training session about how to code COVID in, in the USA, and I was like, my my mouth dropped to the floor when they said, you know, if the patient comes in, even if she's sick with, you know, she's terminally ill with cancer, but now she's got COVID because mm. of her low immune system. They would count their death as a COVID death. COVID. I mean, she didn't die because of the COVID. She died because of the cancer. So do you so, think excuse the data at the end of the day? Exactly. And I must be honest with you. I, th I, I think so far, I'm very proud. I'm watching this data coming through from, the, from, from uh, COVID in South Africa. And I'm quite sure it is because we've actually made an ethical decision back in February this year. At the FISC task team, to say, to, at FISC to say, we are not going to do this. We will code it appropriately. If it is a secondary diagnosis, we will code it secondary. Mm -hmm. If it's the primary diagnosis, we will code it primary. But we, will, we, do, we don't want our statistical data to, to be uh, inappropriate and incorrect. And I'm, I can just wonder what the impact of that decision in February is on what the data is that we see today the fact that south africa has a very low mortality rate mm. maybe this i hope it is you're so. actually coding this better than other countries fingers crossed definitely yeah. is, was that just a decision on first maybe you can first explain who first is okay it's, the, it's basically the private health information standards committee we um first has been around since before the 90s okay late 90s we there's representatives from all over the industry and we discuss uh the electronic health records message standards um clinical coding subcommittees um uh, health information governance there's a lot of these uh groups that belongs to fisc and the wonderful part of it is that we are there to guide the industry in mm. in rules and information to make sure that it's done correctly, to make sure that people do see the standards document for clinical code and how to deal with examples on how to code. Um, and it, it's really just, I want to say it's it's a, it's a ethical um, body that try and move everything into the, the right direction. When we made the decisions on, 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 on COVID, for example, there was also w, the Department of Health representatives there. So it wasn't a decision that was just made by the private industry. There was yeah. actually representatives from the Department of Health okay. that participated. But Anna, when it comes to ICD-10 coding, surely it's not just a South African thing. Does it come from the World Health Organization? Does it come from different countries? How, how does it work? Okay, you know what is funny? The first time that ICD-10 was really, um, can I say, 
started officially to be used in the, in, in the world was just after World War II. Uh, they started with, uh, I think it was, if I remember correctly, 19, uh, 1948, uh, in that vicinity, when they, when they actually really started looking at it. Um, at the moment, there's 193 countries that use um, ICD-10 coding um, to give information through to the World Health Organization. They are looking at other ways of doing it and, and enhancements for future, which is uh, a different story for a different day. Uh, but there's one big difference. Um, and we can actually be proud of it. We started doing ICD-10 compulsory, where it, once it was said, okay, you don't have a, you must do this. We were given a stick and not a carrot to do this. And the industry sort of, you know, we don't really want to do this, but okay, well, it's, you know, it's kicking and screaming. Don't make me, don't make me. <laughs> Some use cheat sheets, other use, you know, all kinds of codes. It was just scary, but we're, we're getting better. The wonderful part is we started in 2005 with RCD10. Okay. Now let me tell you, in 2010, one of my colleagues um, that also is in coding actually was invited to the USA and they asked her one question, how did South Africa do this without um, money? Because we didn't, do, we didn't throw money at it. They throw money at everything. Mm. We started doing it with people willing to understand the reality of uh, we need this data. Um, and yeah, America only started with ICD-10 in 2014. Sure. Okay, so we were way ahead of them. But then something dramatically happened at the same time. And that is that their coding system has actually, they've taken at ICD-10 and they've made it an ICD-10 CM version. So it yeah. is what we have, but they've enhanced it. And by doing that, they jumped right over us again. Oh, they were ahead of the curve again. The first place. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's interesting. But surely capturing ICD-10 can't just be because of the data. Surely there are other reasons why we need to use ICD-10 coding. Well, first and foremost, um, let's look at the carrot and the stick. The reimbursement. It's a challenge. Um, and we will talk about the code of conduct a bit later yeah. about encoding. But medical schemes has linked reimbursement to ICD-10 coding. And this was given to the industry in my eyes as a stick instead of a carrot, as I've said. Mm. Um, if we only understood more and it was, maybe if it's really water under the bridge, but if people knew what the impact would have, would be, um, then it, it would have been so much better. This reimbursement, there's your statistical data for your own practice. Do you really know how many of your patients that you see have a specific diagnosis mm -hmm. or have complications or have comorbidities? Um, but we, we treat patients without statistical data. And I'm one of those persons that, you know, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. So can you measure in data and statistical data how your practice are performing? Mm -hmm. To say, you know, maybe... I thought I was always seeing people with pneumonia. You know, actually not. I'm actually seeing people, people with um, <clears throat> muscular dystrophy. You, 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 know, you know, it's like 
you, your date of your own practice might be very interesting. Yeah, yeah. Okay. The other thing that is also happening is that, yes, it is true. It's a fact medical schemes use the data once it's de-identified de de to do product development for their own products um, that for the next year uh, and to say, okay, what will we pay? What won't we pay? What is our highest cost drivers? Those type of things. Uh, the other place where it is used is in the pharmaceutical industry. Um, I've seen, um, especially while I was at Netcare, a lot of times we've had uh, requests from pharmaceutical companies to say they would like to know how much of this product has been used for which conditions. And then you can actually draw between the NAPI code and the, uh, uh, um, the ICD-10 coding a very nice picture of which conditions has a broad spectrum antibiotic, for example, being prescribed for. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, we all know it's a broad spectrum, but for what? For what? For what was it prescribed? So if you don't have that data, um, it's, it's just a broad spectrum antibiotic. Exactly. I'm sure, I'm sure it can be really applied in the educational field as well. You can use it for training. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yes. Very um, interesting. Okay. All right. So is, is it mandatory in South Africa to code, both in private and in, in public sector? You know what? Public sector try their best. I must be honest if I say that to you. I know that a lot of the private sector people has been trained. I know that uh, one of the private companies has done training in all the bigger hospital facilities. Mm. I can't speak on, you know, on your rural areas and your level, other levels, um, you know, the lower levels, but I do know that these systems cater for it within uh, to, to accommodate ICD-10 coding. And because they participate in the SA standards, uh, uh, in, in the FISC subclinical subcommittee and encoding, I know that there's a lot of the people that attend that and assist and guide. And um, yeah, they, they, there's definitely, it's relevant on both patients. It is also on public and private, yeah. but it is very important, also relevant for a private patient. So even if a patient comes to you and you say, you know what, yeah. I don't want you to share my information with the medical scheme. I'm not going to claim it. That claim still needs to be coded for the patient should he have, the, you're giving him the choice that when he submit the claim, it's a valid that claim. he can, can submit and then he don't come and say to you, uh, the medical scheme don't want to pay this because he's not the code and then you need to add a code again. Mm -hmm. You know, so that, um, yeah. So you're saying as a healthcare practitioner, let's say you've got a private practice, because I know the majority of people on the call this afternoon is in private practice. Um, if you see a patient and they are a medical scheme patient and you submit directly, obviously it needs an ICD, a valid ICD-10 code. Yes. But if you are seeing a private patient and they pay you cash as a healthcare practitioner, it is still your responsibility as healthcare practitioner to, on the invoice for the patient, to include a valid ICD-10. Absolutely, absolutely. Right. So you can't just provide there is, the invoice. There Wait. is an interesting code. Yeah. Oh. There's an interesting code. The code is U98.0. I know that one out of my head. Okay. <laughs> You're gonna have to enlighten all of us, please. <laughs> okay, this code means the patient do not want his information to be disclosed. Okay. Okay. Okay, so you can use that if the patient don't want his information to be disclosed. Yeah, yeah. The reality okay. is, however. The medical scheme is not going to pay for it. 
Mm. So be prepared on how you're going to deal that with that. Are you going to take cash up front? Are you going to ask the patient to pay you later because the medical scheme is not going to do it? They will probably send the patient back to say, get better codes. Yeah, get, a, get an appropriate code. Not that that was not appropriate, but to actually talk around your condition or your, your diagnosis at least. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. And there's something completely different. And, and I know we are discussing the, the topic of ethical diagnosis coding, but what's the difference between legal and ethical requirements when it comes to coding? Okay. Legally, according to the Medical Schemes Act, an account must have a diagnosis and, if relevant, a procedure code on it. Okay, it does not state that it must be ICD-10 in the Act, but that is the way that was decided on what must, how this information needs to be provided in, in later circulars that was sent out um, Mm. by the Council of Medical Schemes and People. Okay, so ICD-10 coding is a legal requirement. It must be coded to, there's, there's a lot of rules. It needs to be coded to the highest level of specificity. You need to code the dagger first to the asterisk second. Mm -hmm. uh, it must be in a per line item if you're a provider and on header level when you're a hospital. There's a lot of legal rules built in. And these rules are easy, manageable in an appropriate uh, software system. Okay, but that's not necessary. It, it makes it easier to decide. Okay, it's ethical to code correct, so or code to the highest level of specificity and all those things. But but it's still legal. When it comes to ethical parts, we we're talking soft. Um, you know, do you really code? ethically correct it's your you can't um what does what does that mean what does ethically correct mean i'm trying to unpack that as well so from okay. a legal point of view it's because the medical schemes act state that you need to code yes um, and i want to talk about the coding but no what the, is the, ethical the best way to explain ethical coding is to look at the clinical code of conduct okay now the clinical code of conduct is not a south african conduct okay. this is an inter international agreed conduct that is relevant to all clinical coders and if we need to look at that code of conduct these 11 points I'm going to quickly mention them to you all then I think all of that address what is seen as ethical coding okay okay the, the first one is that you need to go to the highest standard of coding and billing um, don't just code because coding is coding um, I have a cheat sheet. I use just three codes on the cheat sheet because it works. Mm -hmm. It's unethical. Okay. Stay within the rules that is provided. The fact that you, you need to code to the highest level specificity, the fact that your patient record and your coding need to be a true reflection of each other. Yeah. You can't diagnose the patient with psychosis, but you code depression. Mm -hmm. That type of scenario. You need to have consent from the patient and confidentiality in the process of dealing, how you're going to deal with coding. Mm. Coding is as good as Dr. Google on the best of days. I absolutely agree. Uh, but you know what? That is a deliberate decision from somebody else to overstep the rules. And that is why it's ethical, for example, that your 
when you put a code on a claim that the description of the code is not on. Yeah. Because not everybody in the room or everybody picking up their documents is necessarily going to know that, you know, what J18.9 means pneumonia mm. specific. Mm. That that's, a, that's an important point to highlight. So if you do produce a, an invoice or a claim to your patient, whether you send it to the medical scheme or whether you give it physically to the patient in a hard copy format, it's that yes. only the code that needs to be there, not the description. Yeah. And what we need to understand is when, when you look at software, very often you can read the description, mm -hmm. but you need to make sure that, your that whoever does your software for you, that when they send the message through to the buyer, that it does not include the description of the RCVP because that's unethical. Okay. Okay. Um, the, the other thing is, you know, you, uh, we need to actually uh, refuse to participate in illegal, unlawful, and unethical coding. And it is unethical if you go and you say, you know what, all my patients with, that I see in my practice is going to be coded with this five codes. Mm -hmm. That's unethical. There's 44,000 codes. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, also, you know, wanting to code clearly and consistently, if you think about it, if you have, you, you might see a patient with a problem, you deal with the problem, uh, there's a code for it. Yes, but maybe this is not just diabetes unspecified. Maybe mm -hmm. this is a polyneuropathy causing other problems and you need to then code it ethically correct that it reflects the same data than your information. Um, these are, the points get quite interesting if you go down the list. Uh, matters of unprofessional coding supposed to be raised and supposed to be uh, put under a looking glass. Yeah. So for a medical scheme to go and say, hang on, this practice always codes three, three codes. Why are they doing this? Why are they coding mm. this wrong? Maybe it's because they didn't understand. Maybe that it's because they tried to commit fraud. Mm. I don't know. But it's ethically appropriate for that medical scheme to then investigate why are these codes not correct. Okay. The one thing that, that comes up is on the code of conduct is ongoing education. Now, I'm just asking There's <laughs> extremely few people. It's like a drop. In, the in, in a bucket of the people that's really been trained in coding. Mm. And I'm not few, saying, I don't know, sorry for interrupting you. There's quite a few questions that came up. Like why yes. isn't ICD-10 coding trained, properly trained at university level, for example? You know what, I, was, I also would love to know why it's not coded at university <laughs> level. I would have I've suggested that like, I think 10 years ago already. Make it one module in one semester of your training and get it over and done with. Uh, when, you, when you can try, still train people academically. So I hope there's a few of the people that sit here that has, that has the power to take this back to universities and say, come on guys, let's, let's put this in the syllabus. I, I um, can't agree with you more. Can't agree yeah, with you more. No, def definitely. What else? Um, I, I, I had a quick question. Yes, you, you refer to the Medical Schemes Act and the fact that your claim needs a code, but this the type of code isn't specified. Now we know there's ICD-10 coding, but in the psychology space, I know there's DSM-5 as well. How do those two correlate? And can you use DSM-5? Because as far as I know, some of those codes are not accepted in South Africa. 
the DSM-5 codes are not on the claim. Um, it is RCD-10 codes that's on the claim. Um, it's been quite a challenge, I think, in the industry as it is. Normally, the medical schemes will ask for uh, reports from the psychologists and, and mm. the psychiatrists. And I actually feel quite sorry for them because it's double coding. Or, you know, double the information. Mm, mm. Um, but yeah, the ICD-10 coding is the only way, only codes that appear physically on an account. Okay. So yeah, it, it's it's a uh, tough one because I think a lot of psychologists do still use the DSM-5. Well, I, absolutely. And absolutely. It's, not, it's not wrong to use. They just need to include an ICD-10 as well. Is that correct? Absolutely. You know, when I, I've worked with as a very well-known, one of the well-known psychiatrists at one stage. And I mean, we had this agree. It was just between the two of us anyway, because it doesn't work like that. I was in the hospital. But when he had, he will fill in the DSM and I will provide, you, I will code his DSM into ICD-10 and then he will provide that ICD-10 <laughs> because he didn't want to do the ICD thing. So it that's basically what challenge. we do. Yeah, it you know, is a it challenge. Is a challenge. I, I feel sorry for the guys. Okay, um, thank you. <laughs> unfortunately, not a quick answer for that one. Okay. Um, we've got another question. Um, what, is, what is the best code for psychologists to use when working with clients around COVID issues? Huh, you know what? I'm so glad you're asking <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, Lonnie, what, what we've done, we've actually, the question to how to do this came up like in last week and we had a, we needed to put something, for, we've, we've sent out uh, communications to the industry uh, on how to code COVID and then my sister being in the same psychology job or, and, and welfare officer job said to me, I can't code this, how do I code it? Okay. So basically what would happen is if the patient has got COVID, because he, he, he's gonna to come to you because he's afraid of getting it, mm, okay? Mm. You will still, if he's got COVID, you will code the COVID first, the UO 7.1. Okay. okay? It, and if he has, the, the, you will basically, if he doesn't have it, the only thing that you can do is you can code, that is, is a, there's a fear of, um, and I'll have to now look up the coach because I don't know, I was prepared for this one. <laughs> but there's definitely specific codes for it, okay. Um, but it's not stating COVID. It's, it's from the, it, you're gonna count the fear, the anxiety, the, uh, because there isn't a code, a psychiatric code for it. Mm. Uh, for, 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 uh, for in, in the information as it is. Um, what I will do is I'll, after, in retrospect, um, look at the information. Uh, we've actually been draw, drawing it up as I, it's in the process of being drawn. Excellent. Being drawn up on how to code that. So it's not been signed off by FISC yet. Um, so I don't want to provide exact guide, guidelines and then, you know, you think, okay, but I've said this, this should be coded. It should be first um, signed off by the FISC members okay. on how well, exactly it would be. Perhaps once that's done, we can share it with the audience as well and we can put that necessary documentation Absolutely, on, our, by all means. on our platform. For, for those that uh, there is also other guidelines, if you're not in psychology, that's already been published. Um, there's been four communications sent out by FISC 
about the coding that I've so, that that was sent out, and then there's also in the in the FISC standards document, which is basically just a length arm from the mm. uh, government uh, standards that has got like I think it's five pages full of examples okay. on how to code COVID under different circumstances, under various circumstances. Okay, because I see there's other questions coming in from a, a, a bio, for example. How would a bio code for treating a, a post-COVID patient? Now, now it gets really interesting. Now you get uh, you post-COVID. We've actually sent, um, there isn't a code yet. What we've done is we've sent them, uh, the Medical Research Council has been, in, we've been, you know, there's constant contact with WHO. And we've asked them, how do we deal with these post-COVID things? I mean, yeah. a, the pediatric um, codes, doctors are experiencing this syndrome that the children is having the whole uh, recently post-COVID that pretty much presents like Kawasaki syndrome. Yeah. And, um, but it isn't that. So, you know, how do we code that? And, and so there, there is a lot of, how are we going to deal with this and how are we going to code it if somebody you know that's in the group seriously need a coding and you're part of the spacenet board and uh, you know belong to spacenet or profnet we use that normal way to answer those type okay. of questions okay. in coding okay yeah, um, i see that somebody neil for the matter has asked what about the codes b34.2 and b97.2 Correct. Said, uh, there was a, first, a decision made in a voting process where 97% of the audience um, decided this, but it was actually decided um, by World Health Organization, so they basically told us what to do. Um, there's been communication about these two codes because of the fact that coronavirus has been around since, I think, 1960, like years ago, okay? These codes have been in ICD-10 coding for a long time. And we were asked, please not to use the B34.2 and 97.2 codes for COVID-19. Um, use them for your other coronavirus patients because, you know, every second flu has got a corona next to mm, its name. But not for this version. Yeah, this but not for COVID. Yeah. COVID specifically is coded with a positive patient is coded with U07.1. 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 Yeah. And if if the patient is clinically diagnosed, but the result is not available yet, it gets coded with a U07.2. Okay. Okay. So that's base, that's the very uh, summarized version of 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 that. Yeah, what I can do is I'll send you FISC standards and we can actually send it out to, um, afterwards if you want. I think that'll be great. We can actually attach that onto the webinar link as yeah, part you know, the communications. Mm -hmm. They can actually see what that, it is. That will be great. Absolutely. That will be great. But Anna, I want to take you back. And I think, Yolandi, this is where you need to just help us out. We do want to show practically what some of the ICD-10s look like. And you mentioned that it's necessary to code to the highest level of specificity. And a lot of healthcare providers that I've spoken to over the past couple of years, they don't know what that means. And perhaps we can just have a, a quick look to see what it means. If you can perhaps just show us Yulandi. Now Yulandi is going to use our practice management system. And what we're trying to just show you is a, is a practical way of what an ICD-10 code should be looking like. So she's going to do a screen share. And I would like you to just think, is your practice management system doing this? Is your 
the, the hard copy notes or the book that you're using this, is it doing that? Just please make sure so that you can start coding correct in an ICD-10 format for, for your patients. So, you, you want to talk while, while Yolanda is bringing it up, you know what the one thing is, if we don't know the coding rules, it's vital that you make sure that whatever system you use supports you as best as possible. Mm. Um, you know, not everybody uses these old green books like me. Um, <laughs> and they're very expensive <laughs> in any way. So it's, it's always worthwhile having something that gives you the comfort of support to know at least you're not going to make those legal errors in the process. Good. Yolanda, do you want to quickly show us? Yes, of course. I'm going to search according to description and I'm going to show you um, exactly what the results are. So you will see from Aaron's conversation as well, it gets very specific and this is exactly what she was talking about. Um, so I know a lot of uh, practitioners use the unspecified option. I don't know if you want to add something to that, Arna, but the, the, the closer you get to what is actually wrong with a patient, I would feel, in my opinion, that that is correct coding or ethical coding. I don't know what you think, what's your thoughts, Arna? When one look up a code, okay, irrespective of whether you look up a code using ICD-10 books or software, whatever it is, there's trouble in China when it comes to looking up codes, and that's all started all started in, at World Health II already, you know, after the Second World War, because this task of coding was given to America and to the UK. So Donald Trump and Queen Elizabeth went into a, a huge argument around spelling, and um, <laughs> your tabular, in other words, the whole list, the big list of ICD-10 codes was put uh, together by the uh, by the UK, while the index when you look up ICD-10 coding is in American English. So oh, you need to know what you you know if you, if the one don't work, please try the other because that might be the only reason for your spelling error. I I, I need to just comment on something that I saw somebody wrote about endless problems with the medical schemes <laughs> because I realized that. That is probably the biggest problem that everybody has. There's not a quick, easy answer for it. The challenge yeah. is a lot of the patient's benefits are linked to, um, to uh, ICD-10 coding, whether they qualify for treatment, and then you get a message back saying, hmm, guess what, guys? Your account is incorrect ICD-10 coding, and then in the meantime, maybe it didn't qualify according to the, yeah. you know, it wasn't on the PMB list, or um, but if, if, there's, there's often other reasons than just the yeah. code that's wrong. But perhaps, yeah, just to pause for a second, because I know we're talking about high specificity. If you see on the screen there, um, G71, on the right side, there's an action, and it's got a little red cross into it it means that there's a code with a better specificity. So try and code more specific. Instead of just using a G71, rather use the G71 well, point, whichever one is more applicable. There, no, but it's not just that, uh, Lonnie. If you have a, 
there's 44,000 ICD-10 codes. If you code a three-character code, just keep in mind that there's, if I remember correctly, 205 codes. That is valid codes when they have three characters, like G71. The yeah. rest of the codes either have four characters or five characters. Sure. So your chance in the moment that you are coding a lesser level than what the full code is, your account rejects because it's coded incorrectly. That it yeah. must be coded with the highest level of specificity. And in, in the G codes, for example, in what that, that she's got there now, G71.1 is a higher level of specificity. Yeah. If, if um, uh, Yolandi put up a code, like, let's look at a code with, that starts with an M. Uh, put in M, M80, M53, doesn't, uh, put in M80. Okay, this is now like an osteoporosis code. And what you see there is there's a code that is M80.00. Now, that's a type of error that we very easily can make in coding. Because if you don't, if you code on M80.0, only the medical scheme mm. is going to reject it. Because mm. they are, it's not coded to the highest level of specificity. Which is one of the things that is actually, can easily be addressed. In, and it is addressed, as a matter of fact, in the clinical code of conduct. Where one of the ethical things that is appropriate and correct for us to do is to do to empower ourselves and do educate educate ourselves on how coding really works yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a question that came out and yulani perhaps you can assist with this one um when a healthcare provider um codes f43.22 apparently when they send it into a medical scheme or an administrator it rejects it will. It will reject. Okay. Okay. Is that Anna? In F43. F43. In F43.2. Okay. Uh, Jonathan, I'm sorry to tell you, but you've been in the American version of ICD-10. You have found F43.22 and I Take a guess, I might be wrong. Uh, you are welcome to tell me if I'm wrong, but I want to bet you that you've used the code that you found on the internet. Yolanda, if you put in the F43.22, does that code exist? No. It doesn't exist. Okay, okay. here it is. Okay. Okay. What America did is they have taken ICD-10 the way it is, and they have broadened it. They, their codes can have up to seven characters. Okay, mm. which includes five characters in the F codes, five character, characters in the maternity codes. Your injury and cause codes is like giving laterality, saying it's the left hand that was fractured and it was an acute injury. So we need to be, guys, you need to be so, so, so careful of the internet. The internet is like blown out of proportion with all the versions that is available invalid ICD-10 coding for America. Okay, all right. I think that's a really okay. good example. Yulandi, we've spoken about COVID. Maybe just to show everyone, can you type in the U07.1 just so that they can see the two COVID codes? 
just put you on seven. Okay. And you, so okay, it's one and point two that you referenced, Arna? Yeah, yeah. Perfect. And, and, and there's a bug and you can see what the creative patients got wiping disorder. <laughs> Related <laughs> problems. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Oh, is that why the tobacco ban is there? They use that so <laughs> often. tobacco ban, there you are, okay. Um, yeah. So yeah. you can just stop with your screen share there for a second, Yulani. Let's get the faces back on the screen. Thank you. Thank you. You mentioned, Arna, the, the Queen's English versus American English. Can you maybe just recap that again? Because I think that is very important when people start searching for using their practice management systems, whether they type in a British way or, or in an American way. What they will have to find out is first and foremost, do the system allow looking up codes through the index or does it go directly into the tabular if your system goes directly into the tabular then you would use the america the, the uk english perhaps you should just explain what a tabular is okay that's the big long list that the, of all the diseases and all the information about yeah, okay. all forty-four thousand of them okay by the way um just to talk about america just while i'm uh, thinking about it the American code is more than 75,000 American codes. So, and that explains to us why we can't use it because we've only got 44,000. Okay. And we, I absolutely understand the frustration that, and I understand the problem that, that, that uh, Jonathan, for example, has uh, highlighted here because the, the specificity is just so much yeah, richer. Yeah. yeah. Okay. okay. Um, okay. Back to, back to when you, the American version, if your software system use an index and then a tabular, like what we've got in the health code index on, um, for our doctors and on ProfNet and all of those, that type of word, if you look index and tabular, is American is the index and tabular is British. And you need to then play that ball game between the two and need to really understand how it is. And it's not going to change. There's been a lot of requests for that mm. to change, uh, but the World Health is not going to change it. Um, I'm sorry to tell it, but they're working on ICD-11. Oh, my word. <laughs> Just when we got ICD-10, correct, then they're changing it again, as if it's not complicated Sometime in future, okay? Um, I, I, I promise I'll keep my ear on the floor. And okay, I'm, you do that. I've never mentioned something that can look like a can of worms. I have looked at it, and I want to say to you, it's much better and much richer, and it's actually okay. awesome. Okay. Um, so if we get there, we will be able to address a lot of stuff that is not currently addressed. Okay. So, but it's future news. I'm keeping an eye on the time here. Um, there's a few questions that came in from specific disciplines. Please, can we share the discipline-specific ICD-10 codes? Does anything like that exist? I mean, I know the answer to that, but I want people to hear it from you. Okay. Mm. Guys, there are 22 chapters in ICD-10. They, they, they are broken down into body systems, psychiatric, um, your mental health, your maternity, the um, signs and symptoms, the musculoskeletal system so there is sort of sections that 
app provider would use most. Your psychologist, for example, your psychiatrist, will obviously cope most of the time psychiatrically. Your musculoskeletal guys will obviously most of the time cope, or musculoskeletal disease codes from the M codes, or S&T codes with injuries. So there are these different specific sections, but there's a but in here. Because if you say, for example, I have a patient with pneumonia, okay, but she's got hypertension, there's a comorbidity involved, which, and this is something that we very often not do, and we get frustrated with medical schemes and all their requests for motivation letters. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you the answer is your comorbidities. Yeah. Because the moment that I'm coding um, a patient that's been multiple trauma accident and has a femur fracture, it's actually critical to say, hang on, this person has got uh, high cholesterol, she's got diabetes, hypertension. Does it affect your treatment? And the moment that a comorbidity affects your treatment, you're immediately jumping out of your norm into looking at other things. Yeah. So it's very dangerous uh, just having a specific... Dangerous not to understand everything. Yeah. Okay, one, if I can give one example. Uh, say, for example, you've got a patient that's, that's getting chest fissure, right? But she's pregnant. You should say, you should code Z33, accident, incidental pregnant, mm. on that claim. Because Why your information... That? Sorry? Why is that? It's covering your risk. It's legally covering your risk to say, I know I'm doing physiotherapy. I'm going to code my Z50.1. I'm going to code um, bronchitis, pneumonia, whatever the disease mm -hmm. is that the patient has. But hang on, guys, she's also pregnant. So if she goes into labor while I'm doing it, yeah. I've covered my butt. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that's just one example of. Mm -hmm. Millions of cases. So, um, you know what? You you might be a Cairo, and that person has been in a car accident long ago, long ago. But there's codes that is relevant that covers your risk because isn't there isn't the treatment that you're doing at the moment the problem that the patient has is it a sequelae because of an old injury? Yeah. Very and then, then it's great, fine and well to count the, you know, I'm treating the dorsopathy or whatever the problem is here. But why does the patient have it? Mm. There was a car accident that caused this. I don't know, I'm just thinking, you're talking chiros, you're talking physios. Now something else comes to mind and I'm wearing my physio hat at the moment. I, I know there's something like an injury code that needs to be followed by an external cause code. Yes, um, yes. Is that correct? Can you maybe just explain a little bit more behind that? And uh, Yulandi, if we may ask you to just show us an example of this, and perhaps Yulandi, you can talk us through what you're doing, just to show, I mean, I know you've got some examples prepared. If you start coding the diagnosis versus the external cause codes, which also needs to accompany the, the diagnosis code. The, the one thing that, that, that is, this is a, a written rule. If you do this wrong, the medical schemes will reject your account. 
Okay, so Anna, let's quickly see what Yolandi's got to show to us and then we need to start wrapping up. <laughs> Can you believe it? <laughs> Okay, so Anna, if you can give me an S or a T or a V or a W code. Let, let, uh, let's put in S or a T code. Okay, I'm thinking some S72.00. 100. That's and a femur fracture. That's okay. a femur fracture. So usually, yes. as we know in practice, um, if a patient gets admitted, you always get the S code and you never, ever get the secondary code and you have no idea what's going on. And working, um, my background within a practice, I also know that when doing the billing, you kind of like, okay, but what did really happen to this patient? And then you read the notes and then you realize, oh, okay, the patient actually fell from a tree. So you'll have to kind of like reevaluate what happened to this patient and complete the story of this patient in order to code um, or to do your claim. Absolutely. So, with this, the fracture of prima, which we already have, and now I need to go and see what the story is. What ha actually happened to this patient? Okay, so I saw, okay, he fell from a tree and he was working. So if I put in the keywords and I click on enter, I get a whole list of different uh, secondary codes, which makes it a lot easier. Listen, there is still 756 pages, but you can even narrow it down more. Um, for, for income, because um, we know more or less what the criteria is. Um, and now I can just, basically, I can go to my notes and I can actually see, okay, while working for an income, if there are any notes, what, did it, what does it exclude? And now I've got my complete code already added into my claim with a with a, a course code. So it makes it quite easy to search for a code. And that is you really need in a system. While we have to, I just want you to enter one code for me because I want to talk to you about this code because this is very ethical. Enter yes. there Y34.99. Okay. Okay, I'm glad, well, uh, this is, our, sy uh, our system then blocks it. Then no, talk it's about not, because I'm on a physio, I'm just quickly going to switch screens. And then it I'm going to go into in a, in the correct well. Okay, let me talk to you about Y34.9. Oh, one minute, you've got one minute. Okay, this code means an unspecified event at an unspecified place doing an unspecified activity. Okay, if you code that, don't be surprised if a medical scheme asks you for a motivation letter. You're supposed to know what happened to your patient. So it's a very unethical code to use. Why 34.99? Find out what's wrong in your injuries and code correct. Okay. All right. There are still so many questions that I've got. I want yeah. to know for disciplines who can't diagnose, how do they code? I need to know, we need to delve in a little bit more about the responsibility behind coding. So I'm almost thinking we need to do another session in a week or two's time. And perhaps, mm -hmm. Yolanda, you can join us again because I think there is still some answered, unanswered questions. Um, and I also know you compiled a sort of a top 10 list of tips around coding and I think we've covered about five so there's still a few more that we do need to cover so I'm going to call you girls back for some help in the future again but we do need to wrap up it is one minute before five and I want to tell you about our webinar next week which is around the poppy act 
I think there's a lot of healthcare providers that think, oh my goodness, it's been coming for so long, it's never going to actually be um, put into practice, but I have got news for you, it is for real, it has been implemented, we've all just been um, given one year grace period. To, to implement everything correct around the Poppy Act. Now, I can tell you it's literally fresh, fresh off the press. We've got um, Esme Prince with us next week, Thursday, again at four o'clock. She is a legal consultant on the Poppy Act and she is a qualified attorney. So she is very, very well positioned to come and talk to everyone here around the Poppy Act and the, the practical implications that that holds in for you and your practice and your patients. So please come and join us again. It will be fantastic to have you all here. Please register on our website, easymed.solutions under the webinar tab and we'll see you next week. Anna, you've got 30 seconds for a closing remark and then Yolanda, you. Guys, code correct. Code the diagnosis that is wrong with the patient. Forget about TPMBs. They will take care of themselves. Okay, PM, if a patient is a true PMB and you can't correct, it will be correct. And stay away from point nine, unspecified. <laughs> unspecified, it's like sending your child oh, with your goodness. credit card to a place where you don't know what they're going to do with it, okay? <laughs> Medical schemes don't like point nine as a fourth character. Please Thanks, don't. Anna. Best, possible level of information. Excellent. You love me? No cheat sheets. Thank you. No cheat sheets. You were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> and if you don't know what to use, ask. There's yeah. lots of ways to do it. Ask. Ask, absolutely. Ask. Guys, thank you again so much for attending and for Spacenet for, for sponsoring this webinar. Just a quick reminder, if you do need help from a practice management point of view or from a telehealth platform, you can use EasyMed and Medici until the end of August absolutely for free with, with no obligations afterwards. Um, we hope to see you all here with us again next week. Please remember it's Women's Day, I think on Sunday, so have a fantastic day, spoil yourself. No one else needs to do it. You're absolutely worth it. And I want to leave you with something that Michelle Obama said, and that is, there is no limit to what we as women can accomplish. Remember that. Never forget that. That's all from us, folks. Take care. It was lovely seeing you again. Love to your families. Drive safe if you need to. And we'll see you next week. Bye.